From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large with Mississippi Today. Today, we're sitting down with New York Times best-selling author and Jackson native, Angie Thomas, and she's going to be talking about her career and her new number one novel, Concrete Rose. Plus, Michelle and I will talk about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup, so stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Corva Coleman. The pace of COVID-19 vaccinations is accelerating as the rate of new coronavirus cases is declining. NPR's Allison Aubrey reports almost 32 million people in the U.S. have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. With more vaccination sites up and running, the push is to boost supply to get shots into arms quickly. As new variants circulate, there's concern vaccines could be less effective. In South Africa, the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine was halted after a preliminary study pointed to minimal effectiveness against the variant there. Yet vaccine makers can retool the vaccines to provide protection against emerging strains. Here's former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. We also may be able to develop in a timely fashion, maybe in four or six months, a consensus strain that bakes in a lot of the different variation that we're seeing. The goal is to stay ahead of the virus as it mutates. Allison Aubrey, NPR News. The U.S. says it will rejoin the United Nations Human Rights Council. The Trump administration quit the body nearly three years ago. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva, the Biden administration sees rejoining the council as a way to defend human rights globally. U.S. Chargé d'Affaires at the U.N. Mission in Geneva, Representative Marcus Serre, says the Human Rights Council needs to be reformed. By rejoining this body, he says the U.S. can be more effective in improving its work for the benefit of human rights around the world. While recognizing the council's flaws... We know that this body has the potential to be an important forum for those fighting tyranny and injustice around the world. By being present at the table, we seek to ensure it can live up to that potential. Kasser says the Biden administration has important new positions regarding systemic racism, immigration, climate change, and gender equality. He says these issues are at the core of the council's work and at the heart of what the U.N. Council does. For NPR News, I'm Lisa Schlein in Geneva. In northern India, authorities are trying to rescue scores of people who are feared to be trapped under debris. Part of a Himalayan glacier broke off on Sunday and triggered flash flooding. At least 18 people have been killed. Sushmita Patak has more. A team of experts is investigating the cause of the disaster. For years, scientists have been raising concerns about Himalayan glaciers melting at a fast pace because of climate change. But it's unusual for a glacier to break apart in winter. Experts have also been cautioning against a slew of infrastructure projects in that region. It's already prone to floods and landslides. Sushmita Patak reporting. On Wall Street at this hour, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up about 155 points at 31,301. The Nasdaq is up about 100 points. It's at 13,955. You're listening to NPR News. 
The Chicago Teachers Union says it is considering a tentative framework of a deal with the city's school system. It's intended to lay out coronavirus safety protocols. The union's representatives will vote on the matter later today. The Chicago school system wants students to return to in-person learning. Under the tentative arrangement, students would not return to classrooms for the most part until next month. In Democratic Republic of the Congo, a woman has died of Ebola, and that has raised fears of a new outbreak. NPR's Jason Bobian tells us the case is the first reported in the area since a major Ebola outbreak was declared over last June. In a statement, the Congolese Ministry of Health says the woman tested positive in the city of Butembo in the volatile east of the DRC. Butembo was one of the epicenters of an outbreak that lasted from 2018 to 2020 and claimed more than 2,000 lives. The patient, who died last week, was the wife of an Ebola survivor. Officials say viral samples are being sent to a laboratory in Kinshasa that try to confirm whether this is a new Ebola outbreak or if it's an extension of the last one. The World Health Organization and UNICEF are deploying staff to help investigate the situation. The WHO, in a statement, warns that it's not unusual for sporadic cases to arise after a major outbreak. Jason Bobian, NPR News. Tom Brady led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs last night 31-9 on their home field in Tampa in Super Bowl 55. The Bucs won their second NFL title in some time. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from iDrive, providing cloud backup, full system backup, and on-site iDrive appliance to protect PCs, Macs, and servers from data loss due to crashes and ransomware at iDrive.com NPR and Americans for the Arts. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large with Mississippi Today. Today, we're sitting down with New York Times bestselling author and Jackson native, Angie Thomas. We're going to be talking about her career and her new number one novel, Concrete Rose. Plus, Michelle and I will talk about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup. And there are a lot of things to talk about this week. Obviously, there was a little football game yesterday, which I guess we can bring up. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about that. But first, Michelle, I just wanted to call just see how you're doing. I know you've had a very busy weekend. <laughs> I wasn't. I wouldn't call it busy, but it was, it was a weekend. Yes, uh, I'm here. It's Monday, back in the land of the living, and um, I'm glad to be here. Amen. Glad Amen. Uh, Do you watch the big game yesterday? I actually, believe it or not, came in. I guess you call it the second, not the second half. It was before halftime because I wanted to catch it, so I hit record. You wanted uh, to watch weekend? That's no, I actually about. wanted to catch some commercials, so I was. Um, sleep most of the day in and out in and out and when I woke up again I'm like oh I don't want to miss any funny commercials or whatever so I hit record to catch that 
I didn't get to see uh, Jasmine Sullivan, but on Instagram, it's funny. You can see everything again. So I saw of course. Jasmine. I saw her. I saw. Um, I basically saw everything <laughs> again. Uh, everybody did a great job. I listened to the weekend. I was in the tub, so I had it up, and I listened to his performance. I didn't get to rewatch it yet, but it sounded like it was great. Um, the commercials were fabulous. I like the commercials. Your favorite commercial? Which one? Uh, well, the ones I saw. I like the Allstate commercial. <laughs> The one I saw, I like the Allstate commercial with uh, Drake. Uh, yeah. And uh, what's my... Drake from State Farm. Yeah. That was funny. Well, the yeah. stand-ins. I like all yes. the stand-in, stand-ins, and they were saying um, uh, they could have picked some stand-ins that were closer, uh, that looked more like them. And then Drake bit the apple just in time for him to say his line. That was so purposeful. That was funny. Just the whole thing. I like that one. It was a few more. Like I said, I haven't rewound the... Um, and watch the whole thing. I'm sure some other ones that I missed that I would choose to be my favorite. What was your favorite? I was working during it, so I was like having a hard time paying attention to the game and to the commercials and to work. But I really liked the Jeep commercial with Bruce Springsteen talking about the you know the the middle ground with the church in the middle of the country. I thought that was really a nice message to that. The Toyota ad was very moving as well. Will Ferrell in the Cadillac battery commercial uh, was that, believe it or not, was funny. I liked um, Tracy Morgan in the rocket ones talking about sure thing versus or whatever. I thought that was pretty funny, too. So, I mean, like I said, there wasn't anything that really just knocked me over this year, but I thought there were some pretty good ones. And I kept thinking, wow, they just spent a lot of money on this. And weekend show, you know, it was really funny because I was watching my Twitter feed and it was like the old guys in the Muppet show. A lot of people were fussing about it, but I, you know, weekend's so incredibly talented, but I liked that he was wearing the Richard Pryor suit, you know, the red, the red jacket with the black on there. I was like, Oh, it looks like Richard Pryor suit. But then the people with the gauze on their head came out and then he was doing that weird camera thing where it was up close running through the rooms. And I kept thinking, wow, if you're drinking during this Super Bowl, you're going to be really <laughs> sick on this one. Cause it was, I was getting motion sick, but it was good. I mean, I was this Tom Brady's 50th Super Bowl that he's won or something like that. Man, I mean, I mean, I, I, I was, I'm not a football buff, but I do, I do know that if you take a losing team, put Tom Brady on it, and then he takes them all the way to the Super Bowl and wins. That I says mean, something about Tom yes, Brady. Yeah. It, it actually does. I mean, again, I'm not yeah, a football player. Take that buff. Bill Belichick, you know. But, <laughs> I mean, it has to. It says something. And, again, oh, I, well, when, at the end of the game, I me. did say this. He doesn't win a game by himself. And a quarterback does not play every position, and it takes well, a team to win Tampa a game. Tampa Bay's defense was tough. I mean, they, they kept – the chiefs on their heels, the whole game. It, it was incredible. And by the way, did you see Sarah Thomas out there? Yes, I did. That was so that cool. Was very uh, shouts out to Mississippi, yeah. Brandon, Mississippi, and the yes. first female of uh, officiant. <laughs> yep. NFL game, NFL Super Bowl. I was really proud of just, it was a real proud moment on that. And of yes. course, all the referees have to have sore arms because there were a lot of flags flying yesterday. Oh, yes, yes. And there was a lot of tempers, too, a lot of pushing and shoving. And, I mean, I don't know if COVID-19 caused that or, I mean, because is that a norm in Super Bowl games? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of money and a lot of pride on the line. And that's pretty normal in football games, too. I mean, you know. So, yeah, Amy and I just thought we would get into the spirit of things. So we put two cardboard cutouts between us on the couch. 
so that we could be like all the people in the stands. That was really kind of freaky because the stands did look full, but then you realized, oh, wait a minute, that's cardboard cutouts. And there was a streaker. I mean, what's the Super Bowl without a streaker, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it kind was of pretty crazy. I'm wondering what next year will look like. Wow. Oh, I hope it's normal. I mean, you know, I mean, the good news is, I mean, more and more people are getting their vaccinations. So hopefully we're going to get the virus under control sooner than later. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully. definitely, definitely. Well, we we have a great guest today. Yes, we do. I'm excited. Yes, we do. <laughs> I'm excited. And she's got some serious thoughts about the Super Bowl, too, because I was tweeting back and forth with her during the game last night when I was supposed to be working, of course. So we have Angie Thomas, who's not only a New York Times best-selling author, but she's also a new dog owner as well. So we'll get to hear about her new pup. Hey, stay tuned. There's more to come. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want. Radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. As Congress debates on how to deliver financial relief, some mayors are betting on universal basic income. How direct monthly payments to more Americans could address economic inequality in cities across the country. That's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRX. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist for Mississippi Today. Our guest today has gone from Bellhaven writing student to one of the top-selling authors in the world. We're going to welcome back to the show Angie Thomas. Angie, so good to talk to you again. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. So This is a great way to start my Monday. Oh, now now I have pressure. Now I have pressure because oh, no. you can actually look. Because I don't want to make you mad. Because I, I, I've, you know. <laughs> you won't. Hey, did you enjoy the Super Bowl last night? You know, I wish I could have. <laughs> the game, the game was not very competitive. Not um, at all. You know, and as a Saints fan, I was very bitter. <laughs> I'm Rightfully so. Getting, a, getting another ring, um, but it, it was, it was. It was okay. I mean, I have to give them uh, credit for pulling it off in the middle of what I call a panini 
So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you did say that you were you were um, watching the Super Bowl for football tights in a tweet last night. Could you yes, could you I expand was. on that a little bit? Yeah, the guys look great in the football tights. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think my answer back was, well, I'm kind of watching it for the commercials, but. The commercials are great, too. Don't get me wrong. There were some great commercials. But, yeah, I, I, since my Saints weren't playing, the only thing that really interested me about the game was the football type. So, yeah. You know what else I did You know what else I did yesterday besides watch the football game and tweet at you? What was that? I read Concrete – I read, was reading Concrete Rose, and congratulations. It is wonderful. Thank you. That makes my day. Yay. I mean, it, I was going to say that you that you live here in Mississippi. Actually, I think you live on the New York Times bestselling charts. Um, it's <laughs> number, I mean, you had like number one and number three lockdown at the end of January, right as, as it came out. I mean, are you numb to this yet or is it still like you just walk around pinching yourself? I am still pinching myself. I hope it never gets numb. Um, I, I, I just. It's amazing to me. I'm so thankful to be in the position I'm in. I, you know, as a, a Christian, I'm like, okay, God, thank you for this because it didn't have to happen for me, you know. Um, but and as a kid who grew up in Georgetown and Jackson um, with a family, sometimes we didn't know if we'd have lights and and we didn't know if we'd get food. We'd have to go to food banks and stuff. I never thought that this would be my life. So. It's it's amazing to me every single day. I'm so thankful. You have a gift and a knack of telling stories that need to be told at the moment that they need to be told. And, you know, I remember when we were talking about the Hate You Give, how it came out right before Black Lives Matter hit. I mean, you literally caught that wave. But now, and it was, you know, after what happened on January 6th, there's been a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. And... Lo and behold, you launch a book just a couple of weeks later that, you know, really does deal with that. I mean, how do you have that gift to be able to figure out what needs to be told when? You know, I it's I, I don't think I even go into it thinking about that. Um, what's funny to me is whenever I sit down to write a book, for me, it's just about sitting down and telling this character story. And then sometimes the other stuff will pop up. You know, I, you know, like I have to admit that when I was writing Concrete Rose and I was thinking about this character of Maverick and the world that he's in and the messages he's being told, it, it didn't it didn't cross my mind too much that I was writing about um, to- toxic masculinity, masculinity until the end, you know, um, and I had to realize that I was just creating his world. And that's I think that's how I have to approach every single book I write. Because if I try to just think about the issues and what's going on in the world, it'll get so overwhelming because the world is so screwed up, you know. Um, But these are things our young people are actually dealing with. And I want to write something that they look at and they're like, yep, this is me. I see myself in this. And if it happens to deal with some issues, then, you know, great, great if, if it gives them some understanding or whatever. But, yeah, it always starts with the characters for me. I want to do a deep dive on Concrete Rose in the next section, but I really want to kind of start off this segment with how are you doing? Because, I mean, I know a lot of people, especially people like yourself who are very creative and very perceptive, the, the world has been a little bit overwhelming in the last year and a half, to say the least, between the virus and between the, the 
just what we've been seeing on TV, everything from George Floyd to so forth. And, and you are incredibly passionate. I see that in your Twitter feed and so forth. I would just want to know, how are you doing and how are you coping? I'm doing okay. Therapy is a blessing. <laughs> therapy is a blessing. I'm a huge Amen. proponent for therapy. I'm a huge proponent for um, medication if you need it. I'm on anxiety medication, and it has literally saved my life. And I have no shame in saying that. I think everybody should focus on mental health care. Um, it's just as important as your physical health. And we don't talk about that enough, especially in the black community. We don't talk about that enough. But I, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. That's what's gotten me through um, the past year. Um, and, and just trying to focus on the positives and, and trying to stay optimistic, which is hard at times. But I... As someone who's gone through so much in her life, I know that things can get better. So that's what I hold on to. That's what's keeping me going. Um, but, yeah, mental health and focusing on that is the only thing I think that's helped me through all of this. I, I so appreciate you talking about that, too, because I think a lot of people don't realize that when your brain is lying to you, you don't know. The, you can't find the answers because you literally right. you sometimes it takes somebody else to help you un unpry the lid and be able to to get that help so that's that's awesome you also have figured out a very good way to have some therapy by getting a new pup um, yeah I, I noticed that, <laughs> yes um uh, his his name's kobe correct yes kobe see i thought i thought you were going to go completely a pelicans named thing there I'm, I'm a little surprised you know they're a little too inconsistent right now to get the honor of having a dog <laughs> named after them in any way um as much as i wow. love the pelicans <laughs> i yeah. said let me go wow. with let me go with a proven legend right now maybe one day you know after they've gotten a championship i may name one zion or brandon ingram but right now let, let me wait on that <laughs> ouch okay but, but i don't but you can't go wrong with Kobe. I got to admit, that's that's pretty solid. Now, I love this, but you put Kobe up on Instagram and suddenly he has more followers than most of us will ever have in our lifetime. And he did that in one day. Right. I was I was shocked. And it's still growing. Um, he's getting followers I don't even have because people just love dogs. And he's so he is adorable. And I'm not just saying that because he's my dog. He is adorable. Y'all can follow him. Cute. It's Kobe Coco Puff. And that's uh, Coco is spelled K-O-K-O. Um, so Kobe Coco Puff on Instagram. He's very adorable. Um, he's in puppy prep school right now, um, learning to be a therapy dog because I want to be able to take him into children's hospitals and nursing homes once the pandemic is over. Um, so he not, he's not just benefiting me, but he's benefiting some other people as well and bringing some joy. That's awesome. I, one thing I love about you is the fact that you have been given this great gift and you've been telling these great stories, but you're also giving back. And I, I, one story that I saw recently was what y'all decided to do with the house that your grandfather bought and that you grew up in. Yeah, that, um, that was, it was a fun project to be honest. Um, I had to reach out to someone that I know. Um, I, actually his name is Ronnie Crudup Jr. Um, Ronnie is actually a state politician now, um, but he's also been very active in Jackson and in the community. And Ronnie has this wonderful program called, um, I think it's I-55. I'm prob I, 
I'm forgetting the name, but what he does is he gets houses throughout Jackson and he helps families get into them. Um, it's super affordable housing. And so knowing that he was doing that program, my mom and I, we've had this house. Um, we've moved, we've been moved out of it for about two, three years now. And so that house has been sitting over there in Georgetown, just, you know, getting old. And the thing about houses is if nobody's living in it, that's when they get worse. Um, so we, we were like, you know what, we don't, we don't want to be landlords. I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in renting. I, I have, you know, nothing against people that do it, nothing against people who are landlords, but in a community like Georgetown, I recognize that we need more home ownership. Um, people need to be able to own their own homes over there. So we were like, you know what, let's, let's, let's give this to Ronnie for the program. So he knew of a, a family that were actually living in a hotel and they were in desperate need of housing. Um, and the mom works and, and she has two beautiful little kids and she just, she fell on hard times. And so he was like, you know, she, she wants a home. And we were like, okay, we got a home. And I made sure that all the renovations were taken care of myself. Um, and I wanted them to have the house we wish we could have had when we were living over there. So we still got a couple of things to do. I want to get some uh, backyard play equipment for the kids, but they're in there. The house is great for them, and as far as I know, they're loving it. So they don't know it was me. I've kept that part to myself, but I'm I'm glad that they're in there and they they have a home now. Angie, the, the, the renovations are beautiful. I mean, I saw pictures of it and I was just like, this is really, this is really nice. You did a great job. Thank you. I'm so proud of it. Like my mom and I walked in and we just almost burst into tears because for years, my mom tried to do her best with that house, but she, you know, we, we weren't financially stable. So all the things she could wanted to do she couldn't do but now it's got the kitchen she wished it would have had and now the rooms look the way she wished they would have looked so it's it's a blessing for them and i'm so happy for them it, it really did turn out great uh, by the way i love your twitter i think you you really have a good twitter game um <laughs> and it's always it's always great because i mean it's a combination of things that bother you things that make you laugh um, you share writing tips on there. I mean, it's just a really great combination. I love this tweet. You said, I spent my morning cleaning while listening to gospel music. Basically, I've become my mother. How is your mom yeah. doing? <laughs> I love your mom, by the way. Just, just to let everybody know that. She, she is yeah. hilarious. I mean. She, yeah, she's doing great. Yeah, when she noticed me doing that, she was like, oh, and just laughing at that. And in mom language, that means, well, look at this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a moment. I was like, oh God, but you can't run from it. It happens. You can't run from it happens. I mean, I, I'm so my dad now, so yeah, it totally happens on there. You're also a gamer. You're a pretty good one. Um, there for a while, I thought we were going to have to do an intervention on Animal Crossing because it seemed like um, about every third tweet that you sent out was about that. But a little bit, but you really enjoy that, and it's kind of a neat way for you to connect with people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I haven't played in a while. That's a reminder that I should probably check on my little island. But um, yeah, I, especially with the, they're with all the audience, they're all dead. <laughs> but um, especially with the audience that I write for, you know, young people, they love video games. And whenever I tell them, you know, yeah, I play. And they're like, yo, really? And 
so like I'm on TikTok now and like I posted a clip from when I was on my PlayStation 5 and like the kids were like, oh, can you play PS5? Give me your gamer tag. And so, you know, I'll I'll play with them um, and, and I'll hit hit them up sometimes on there like, hey, let's let's get a game in. And I'm like, oh, it's Angie Thomas, let's get a game in. And then when I whoop them, they're like, oh, it's Angie Thomas, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, I would wear that with a badge of pride. <laughs> but it, it, it is, especially since I can't, you know, do events to see people in person now. You have to find ways to connect. So video games have been a great way to do that. The first time I ever met you, um, first time I met you was at the I guess Mississippi Book Festival. I don't even know if I even went over and said hello to you, but you were sitting right next to me and you had a line that pretty much went from the tent all the way out to West Jackson. I mean, it was just, you had kid after kid after kid. And I think that was right about the time the Hate You Give came out and everybody just realized, okay, this is something. But it was fun watching you interact with people. And you've, and it's been fun watching you with the age of Zoom now. It seems like you're constantly, you know, on to it. But I thought one of the funniest interviews I've seen you do, you were with a Canadian interviewer recently and you you gotta tell the rest of the story because it was you just it was pretty funny look that one that was that was interesting um so because of zoom and all of this um I'm doing everything at home for this book tour for this concrete road tour and for the media part of it and so I've been doing a lot of live tv and I do my own makeup now as opposed to somebody else doing it when I get to like a studio or something so I tried out a new makeup. A friend recommended some new makeup products to me, and I was like, okay, let's try it. And I loved the way that they looked. But as I was doing this, but well, really before the interview started, like a minute or two before the interview started, my eyes started burning. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I'm like, okay, maybe this is the makeup, because this is the only thing that's different this morning from most mornings. And the interview starts. And my eyes are watering up. They're burning so much. They're watering up. And it's like, I'm sure that any second now I'm going to look like I'm crying. So in the interview, she was asking me something about my readers and how it affects me. And I I couldn't hold back the, the allergic reaction. So I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm getting so emotional. I need to grab a tissue. And she was like, I'm crying for your success, too. And I was like, ah. and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is a luxury You looked like you just won the Oscar. I mean, it was just yeah. it was this great moment. I pulled it off. I pulled it off like I was being emotional, but nope, it was an allergic reaction to that makeup. Yeah, you, so. were, you were struggling there. Angie, oh. I, just to, to, let's pivot real quickly to something fairly serious. And one thing, I, I think one of the reasons why I just, I just think the world of you is because you've just been handed this huge success that you've earned every bit of it, but you're incredibly modest. And, um, but it's still, some of the things that are getting thrown your way, I think would overwhelm the best of us. And this being Black History Month, would you see a tweet from Bernice King, who's MLK's daughter, naming you a Black history maker or you see Time Magazine adding you to the list of five defining work of the 25 defining works of the Black Renaissance. How do you? How does that make you feel? To, to see is, that you're making that kind of impact. That is that is amazing to me. I'm I'm still shocked by both of those. And you know, even when um, Dr. Jill Biden shouted out the hate and give, I'm. 
that still blows my mind, you know. Um, again, I never expected to be in this position. I'm just, to me, I'm still just a kid from Georgetown. Everybody called me Baby Angie because I was the youngest of my friends. Um, I was the little kid that follows all the big kids around the neighborhood. I'm still that kid, if you ask me. Um, and to to be now in this position where, you know, the daughter of one of my heroes is calling me someone special and, and for Time Magazine to include my books and for, you know, the first lady of the United States to have a copy of The Hate You Give possibly on her nightstand, I I hope it shows young people, if nothing else, especially young people in Mississippi, that anything is possible. Any dream that they have is possible. I am living proof of it. Um, but it also reminds me that the responsibility that I have is great, and I don't take that lightly. I'm thankful for it. I used to not be so thankful for it, to be honest, but I am now because if nothing else, I recognize I have a voice and I have a platform that can be used to do some good in the world. And I hope I can. That's what I hope. Um, I, I hope that I, I can change some things. And I have to remind myself that just changing the world starts by changing the world around you. So if, if I can do something, that's better than nothing. Well, you've done a great job starting a conversation. It's time for us to take another quick break. And when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with best-selling author Angie Thomas about her new book, Concrete Rose. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. taste news music storytelling or how-to shows whatever your city gulfport hernando meridian greenville however you want radio smart speaker smartphone app mpb think radio get your mpb car tag anytime it doesn't even have to be up for renewal simply go to your county office to sign up when you get an mpb car tag a portion of the fee helps mpb continue to educate inform and entertain mississippians for details, visit mpbonline.org slash cartag. We'll see you on the road. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. And today we've been talking with best-selling author Angie Thomas, Angie, I, I tell you, congratulations on the on Concrete Rose. The reviews are in. I mean, every one of my read, I mean, they were just incredibly powerful and very, very positive. And what I enjoyed about it was I think a lot of them were just saying, we enjoyed this as much, if not more, than The Hate You Give. And I think anybody in the creative world, when they have a success, sometimes the pressure to be able to top what you've done or any success that you've done. And, and I know I 
have had that with, if I have a cartoon that goes super viral or I mean, like when Barbara Bush died, when I did that cartoon and suddenly I'm speaking at a presidential library, I'm thinking, oh God, what am I going to do the very next day? But you managed to not only do it once, but twice and written a very good book on writing in between. Talk about that a little bit on the pressure of being able to create something that is magic after you've created something that is magic. It's hard catching lightning in the bottle more than once. Yeah. That was, long, that was a long question. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no. That's a great question. You know, but the pressure, it can be a lot. And I had to early on try to relieve myself of that pressure and, and just push it aside. Um, when I was writing On the Come Up, my second novel, the pressure was so heavy on me. Um, I mean, I was working on that book while I was on set for The Hate You Give, you know, yeah. and, and there's no other pressure like being on the set of the movie for your first book while trying to work on the second one and hoping, you know, that they'll make this too. And, and okay, will we be on a set for this one? Should I consider the budget for this scene when I'm writing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, but what I had to do after um, on the come up and when I was starting Concrete Rose was remind myself, why do I do what I do? And it's because I enjoy writing. So if I enjoy writing, I need to write something that I enjoy. Um, and, and it cannot be just for reviews. I can't write it because I hope it becomes a movie. I can't write it because I hope it becomes a New York Times bestseller. These are all things that are outside of my control. The main thing I can control is writing a good story, writing a story that I'm proud of. And and that helped me so much with starting Concrete Rose and and knowing, too, that Maverick is a character who is already so beloved from The Hate You Give. Um, I could have allowed that pressure to hit me from that as well. But I was like, you know, I love him. I love him as a character. I'm going to write a story that I want to tell about him. And, you know, whether people like it or not, it's OK. I was like, at least, hey. What I always tell myself is, look, if nobody else reads this, my mama will read it, you know, and she'll like it, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, listen to you. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I she think. would let you know. <laughs> she let me know. Oh, she let me know. But as long as you know, I have at least that one reader. But somebody somewhere will read it and will hopefully enjoy it. And I can't worry about how many people do or don't. So. Yeah, I'm just I'm back at writing for joy and and not for other people's um approval yeah i i absolutely loved maverick carter as a character in, in the first book and and it makes sense for me to do it because I'm, I'm an old guy and i'm a dad you know i mean I, and i can completely get you know when you want to help your kids and everything else but it was amazing a lot of younger readers really gravitated to him too didn't they yeah i was shocked you know i write young adult fiction and usually the parents aren't around or they're, they're not important to the story or whatever, or usually they're dead, you know, that's why they love killing off parents. But um, I was shocked that so many young people really love the character. I would do signings and kids would tell me, I love Maverick. He's one of my favorite characters. I wish my dad was like Maverick while their father is standing right there. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Which wasn't, I know, which wasn't awkward at all. And then the moms were like, oh, I would marry me a maverick while the dad is standing right there. So my apologies nice. to all the fathers who came to my signing. They felt some kind of way. But 
I think for the young people, what they loved about this character was he's so authentic. He's so true to himself, and he doesn't hold back. He doesn't. He he keeps it real with his kids. He's honest with his kids. He's loving and he's kind, and he can be tough on them, but he keeps it real with them. And I think that speaks to what young people want from us as adults. They want us to be real and honest with them, you know, in appropriate ways, obviously. But they they want that. They are they yearn for that. And this character fulfilled that for a lot of them. Well, this is historic fiction, which still blows my mind that you write about the 90s and it's considered historic fiction. But you went back to when Maverick is actually Star's age uh, or just a little bit older. And and you kind of get to see in the book how not only his decisions shape who he is, but how the community also helps to mold him. And how did you come about? Number one, you said, okay, I'm going to write a prequel. But how did you end up writing about him in such a wonderful way? Because like I said, it, you, it's a real page turner. Thank you. You know, Maverick kind of made it easy, I have to say, um, because the character, he was so rich in the hate you give, and, and there were so many layers to him in that, that it was easy to put together a story for him. Um, I, I too was hurt when I was told that it was historical fiction because I'm like, what? You know, I, I remember 98, 99 pretty well. You mean to tell me that's considered history now? You know, but all you have to do is talk to a kid and they will quickly make you realize how long ago that was. Um, but yes. yeah, yeah. That's um, why I had children. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to remind me, I'm old on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, you know, ask the kid what's a beeper, and they're like, "Oh, what?" You know. Um, my favorite is seeing on TikTok this new challenge they've been doing, where the parents are like, "Show me what, you know, show me how you talk on the phone." And you know, usually when you do the little motion to talk on the phone with your hand, you do like the two fingers up to your ear. Instead, kids now shake their finger like a a cell phone and put it up to oh, their wow. ear. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, small stuff like that. But um, with Maverick, again, his story, there were so many threads of his story in The Hate You Give that it was easy to put together something, a, a plot, a storyline for him. Um, and I was excited about exploring more of his story and, and figuring out who he was at 17 and what those characteristics we see in adult Maverick look like in a kid who's still trying to figure out himself so um yeah the story came about pretty easily I was very surprised I I remember reading about how you said that when you were on the set by the way Russell Hornsby I mean that's probably why those moms have a crush on Maverick to be honest with you it's because of him I mean no offense to your writing because it was really good I mean Russell Hornsby he nailed it I mean and that was the thing about that movie it seemed like everybody in the movie was exactly the way I pictured them in the book. And that was just a wonderful job casting and directing and the movie turned out great. But you sitting there talking to Russell about Maverick and kind of giving him a little bit of the backstory really did help you shape who he was back when he was 17 years old. Absolutely. I I have to give Russell so much credit. He did a phenomenal job. I still think it's criminal that he didn't get a nomination, an Oscar nomination for his um, role. Um, but he he asked me some questions while we were on set that nobody had ever asked me before about Maverick. But first of all, before even that, when Russell came on set, anytime he stepped on set, he was Maverick, whether the camera was rolling or not. 
um, they did his hair a different way when he was Maverick than his normal hair, but he walked a certain way. He spoke a certain way. He listened to certain music. You know, his whole demeanor was a certain way. And it was just like watching Maverick in the flesh. And we would have conversations and he'd ask me stuff nobody else had, like, what was Maverick's dad? Like, what was his relationship like with his dad? I know his father was incarcerated. So what was that like for him? You know, um, what was his relationship like with his mom, because if his father was incarcerated, for him to be the man that we see now, there must have been a strong woman in his life somewhere. You know, um, what what was his relationship like with his with his friend? I, I see you mentioned in the book that he had a cousin. What was his relationship like with that cousin? And so we would have these deep conversations about the character. And as we're talking about this, I have to admit, some stuff I was making it up as I go because I had never thought of that stuff. <laughs> but and as we're talking, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should take note of this. So after um, when he'd go on set to film, I'd quickly get out my phone and I'd take note of everything I just told him, and as a buildup for Maverick for his backstory in case I decided to tell his story because those conversations with Russell just sparked something in me. So um, I got the chance to do my Lemuria event with him and I had a chance to thank him over Zoom but I had a chance to thank him and also readers here in Jackson got a chance to hear from him and um, hear about hear his take on the character and I think even that conversation was a gift so if you're in Jackson hit up Lemuria get you a copy of Concrete Rose and they will send you a link to the conversation with Russell um, as an extra little gift so it's definitely worth checking out. That's a darn good deal there. Let me ask you about this, because I mean, I can tell you from what little I've written in my life, sometimes it's hard to write from a different perspective or a different voice. And <laughs> you are writing from the perspective of a 17-year-old male teenager. Um, last time I checked, that's a little bit probably out of your normal <laughs> wheelhouse. Uh, what, but seriously, you did it. You nailed it. I mean, you nailed the landing. But when you wrote, did you like say, okay, here's four or five friends that I can send this to and kind of get their input on it to be able to make sure that I'm getting this right? Yes. Yes, I did. I, I you know, I spent several months in the head of a 17-year-old boy, and it was a scary place, but I survived. That's a very scary uh, place. I, <laughs> yes. I can tell you from experience. Yes. <laughs> but I, I definitely had to talk to friends and, and talk to, you know, 17-year-old black boys and get their opinions and and get in their heads and, and hear how what they said about things. Because anytime you're writing a character unlike yourself, you should respect the people who do share the identity of that character enough to reach out to some and say, hey, let me know if this is okay. Am I doing this right? Am I on the right path? And I'm so thankful to the black men that I did reach out to um, and, and the black boys and the books that I was able to read by black men about black boys um, that helped me so much. So it, it, it was a process. It was definitely different from what I'm used to. Um, but I'm thankful that I did it. And I'm thankful that so far, you know, all the black men that I've heard from and the black boys, they're telling me thank you for this because it is so spot on. And that's not to say all black boys or black men are the same. But there were certain things, there are certain things that they share um, that, that they share as an experience. And they said that I nailed it, and I'm happy about that. So as long as they're good with it, I'm good with it. We're talking with Angie Thomas. The new book is Concrete Rose. Uh, highly recommend it. Fantastic. Reading it right now. Angie, uh, I think 
well, we're going to, it sounds like we're going to take a quick break. Well, we'll do that. We'll take a quick break and we're going to continue this conversation with Angie Thomas in just a few minutes. If you have a question or comment, you can give us a call at 877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Each week, we talk about ways that you can maintain a healthy lifestyle. You can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. Today's Moment in Black History highlights Coolidge Ball. Being the first African-American athlete to play any sport at the University of Mississippi, Coolidge Ball is a trailblazer. I knew it was going to be that way, and uh, when I came here, I knew I was going to make history. My coach, head recruiter at the University of Mississippi at that time, uh, Kenneth Robin, and I really never thought about coming to the University of Mississippi until he came down to visit. We salute Coolidge Ball for making a path others could follow. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Today we've had the pleasure, and I mean the pleasure, of talking to best-selling author Angie Thomas about her new book, Concrete Rose. It's on sale now wherever you can get great books. Of course, as she mentioned, if you get it from the Lemuria books, you get a little special something, a link to as well for a great interview. Angie, um, once again, congratulations. And, of course, we've been talking a little bit about Maverick and and his story and the backstory. And, and I'll tell you, and this is just my two cents on the whole things, and I'm probably not the sharpest tack in the world, but one thing I like about your books is that they help people who maybe only experience different people of their lives from what they see on the news or what they see on Twitter or what they see on Facebook or what they see on TikTok or whatever. And it takes it past us maybe a stereotype or maybe a two-dimensional portrait of somebody and you flesh people out as human beings and I think one of the things that's really powerful particularly after what we went through last summer and we're still going through to be honest with you with George Floyd and everything else to see this beautiful portrait of a 17 year old black kid who's suddenly being thrust into having to be a grown-up and having to change and having to have his world altered was, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just reading it going, you know what, I needed to read this story. And I'm enjoying reading this story, but I needed to do it. And I, that's, for my two cents about the book, that's to me has been the value of your work, is that you take us in, you build worlds, you take us into it, and you open our eyes. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, that's a goal. Um, to yeah. me as a writer, maybe not when I'm sitting down writing it at that moment, but afterwards, I'm like, I hope that this does that. Uh, just what you said, and especially this summer, I was working on Concrete Rose um, when Mr. George Floyd was killed, when Ahmaud Arbery was killed, and when there was all the uh, protests and um, uprisings. And I, the weight of the book felt a little heavier because I recognize I so often black men and black boys are not humanized. 
Um, I, I saw so many people dehumanize George Floyd. And in his last moments of his life, he was dehumanized. He was not seen as a person. He was seen as a threat, a thing that needed to, needed to be neutralized. And I recognized and I realized that we're dealing with, black men are dealing with their dehumanization on a daily basis by society. Um, they're seen as brutes. They're seen as things that go bump in the night. Assumptions are made about them before they're ever looked at as human beings. And if nothing else, I wanted to show this very real black boy, um, this human black boy who has a full range of emotions. Who, well, yeah, he can be a little knucklehead at times, but at 17, what kid isn't? You know, but he's also loving and caring and sensitive. And and I didn't realize how important it was just to show even that, his sensitivity and the he way cried. It, it Yeah, he cries, you know, and I, I've had I had black men tell me, you know, make sure you let him do that on page because we are not given that right so often, not just by society, but in media. We don't see it a lot in TV and in books and in films. We don't see black men crying a lot. And I didn't realize it until they pointed it out to me. So I, I wanted to show that. I, I wanted to show him vulnerable. Um, and it's just a book, but at the same time, I hope that it's helped further humanize black boys and black men for so many people who may not recognize that they're dehumanizing them to a degree. I love the title, Concrete Rose. And the reason I do is I remember walking downtown Jackson, uh, I was near the courthouse and there was a stretch of concrete there and there was a tree that had grown up through the concrete that they'd literally cut down and whacked. It was just a stump. And out of the middle of that stump, there was a little sprig of life coming through it. And when I read that, I was, that's what I thought of. I thought of that and I thought, you know, that is a beautiful metaphor for Maverick that when maybe it seems like the world is pressing down on top of him and he shouldn't be who he is, but he meant life finds a way. I mean, is that where you came up with the title with that? Not from that particular tree I saw, but from the, the fact that life has a way of overcoming. Yeah. And the title really came from Tupac. Um, when Tupac was of course. teenagers, yeah, yeah. I know you, I, I know was, you too well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Tupac was a teenager, he wrote a poem called The Rose That Grew From Concrete, and it was really autobiographical. Oh, yeah. And it's a beautiful poem, and it's about seeing a rose growing in a crack in the concrete and how it's proving nature's law is wrong just by existing. And yeah. it's, it's, again, it's such a beautiful image about seeing beauty in difficult circumstances. And I think a lot about the kids who I write about and the kids that will see themselves in these characters. They're what Tupac would call roses growing in concrete. And Maverick is a prime example of that. So the the title just felt right. You know, this, this may be the last book I write set in Garden Heights. Um, and it just felt right to end it with a title um, named after that poem since that poem has been so influential on me. You graduated from Bell Haven's writing program. I would say by far you're probably their most famous graduate, but that has, says a lot about you. Now, they, they do good work there, but, but definitely you have been very successful. But that said, I was listening to an interview with you and Jonathan Capehart from the Washington Post. I love him. He's a great interviewer, and it was a really good interview. But you were talking about a, a piece of advice, the writing advice that you got from a professor that wasn't, I don't even think was your professor at the time, 
But do you remember what you told him? Because I, I thought it was incredibly powerful, and any budding artist needs to hear that. Yeah, um, that that professor is um, Howard Barr. He's a, a author here in Mississippi, and he writes um, books that are definitely different from mine. He writes Civil War fiction. But we were having a conversation one day um, about my senior project. I was getting ready to start on it. But I wasn't sure what kind of story I wanted to do. I thought about doing a fantasy story. And he asked me, why, well, why a fantasy? And I was like, because that seems to be, you know, the kind of story people would like. And he's like, hmm, but is that the kind of story that you really want to tell? And first, that question made me go, hmm. And, you know, it, it sent me on a little uh uh, a little introspection at the moment, but then he followed it up with what kind of story would you really want to tell? And I told him, I'd love to tell one based in a neighborhood like mine, but I don't know if people would want to read that. And he said, but if that's what you want to write, why not write it? Why not write about that community? There are so many stories there that deserve to be told. Why can't you be the person to tell them? And that stayed with me. Because when I got to Belhaven, my first day there, I was the only student, I was one of the few students from Jackson um, in the creative writing program. And then I was the only black student. On top of that, I was one of the only ones who never really traveled. Like in my first class, my professor had us all talk about what we'd done that summer. And some of them had done mission trips in Africa or Central America. Some of them had gone to France with their parents as a graduation gift. And me, I'd been in Jackson. I maybe saw the reservoir, you know, <laughs> that was about it. And I felt so low on my first day after that. But later when I had that conversation with him in my senior year, he's like, why did I tell that story? It hit me that since I was the only one there from Georgetown, from, you know, that area of Jackson, I'm the only person in this program who can tell the stories about that community. So, yeah, why not be the one to do it? And that that piece of advice was the best piece of advice I could have ever gotten. I think I paid Bill Haven a whole lot of money for that one piece of advice, but I'm very thankful for it, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful that you listened to it, too, because I think we've all benefited. In the last 30 seconds here, what's next for you? Well, um, we're working on the on the come up film. We're in the early stages with that, um, early pre pre production with that. We're hoping to start casting soon. Um, and I have a project coming out in June called Blackout with several other authors. It's set in New York City during a blackout, and I write about some kids in Mississippi being in New York City during a blackout. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I have a middle grade fantasy I'm working on. Wonderful, wonderful. Angie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And we're going to hopefully talk with you a little bit more here in the future. But anyway, congratulations. The book is Concrete Rose. If you want to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org. Now You're Talking is produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell. And join us next week at 10 for more great conversations. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi, providing health and wellness tips on their Facebook page. Manageable temperatures in place today and tomorrow we'll see an increase in the cloud cover from south to north and there is a chance of some wet weather across the south a little bit later on tonight. Oxford expecting to see sunny skies today or high this afternoon near 55. Those clouds will roll in tonight and overnight low in the low 40s. Greenwood, a mixture of clouds and sunshine today or high this afternoon into the low 60s. Partly cloudy, not as cold tonight. An overnight low will drop down into the upper 40s. And in Pascagoula, a chance of a few showers or scattered thunderstorms today, 65. More wet weather possible tonight. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio. 